Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. From the fourth chapter of Philippians, verses 6 through 14. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you don't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever taken an extra moment at the store when looking at the Coca-Cola display to try and select a special bottle because you didn't want some random person's name on it, but maybe something that was more meaningful to share with somebody you actually knew or to acknowledge an occasion? Have you ever shared or endorsed a product on social media to offer an endorsement or as part of a, a giveaway, some sort of prize package? Instead of marketers trying to force content onto you based on algorithms determined by your trackable habits, you produce marketing for a company in that way. As the user, not an employee, but as a fan, you are doing work for the company through your endorsement. In that case, the corporation is not only trying to get your money in exchange for a product or service, but trying to leverage your loyalty and relationship to build their credibility among your friends and associates. That is how you become content. That's how you become user-generated content. Nobody needs to learn how to do that. I'm not going to teach you how to shill for a company free of charge today. That objectifies you, and there's very little peace and satisfaction in being objectified, even if it does release some serotonin and happiness in our lives for the moment. What we're talking about today is being content, not content. How do we experience satisfaction and peace that transcends our circumstances? The guy who's teaching us about this peace faced some significant trials in his life. The Apostle Paul was telling the church in Corinth about how Christ has seen him through countless troubles. He says, I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without numbers, and faced death again and again. 
Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I faced danger from the men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? Yet in the passage that Steve just read for us, Paul is also talking about accessing the peace and satisfaction that isn't dependent upon what's happening around him or around us. It depends instead on how Jesus is working within us. And that leads to the first lesson from this morning's scripture. Gratitude is the key ingredient to feeling content and complete. Gratitude is the key ingredient. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I know I don't verbalize it nearly enough, but I'm really grateful to be here serving at St. John's. I love serving this congregation and serving within this community. I love the privilege of being able to hear your stories, being able to sit with you through joys and through sorrows, being able to play volleyball with some of you, sharing meals with you at other times. Every single Sunday morning, I look out over this congregation, and for a few reasons, I smile. One of the reasons is that I know what some folks overcome in order to be here each and every week. Some folks fight incredible grief in order to show up and be a part of this gathering. Some have very active kids, or maybe they've had very late nights the night before, and yet they find fellowship and grace here. Some folks have physical pain that would absolutely sideline them if their determination were not so strong. Some have paralyzing shame of the possibility that judgmental eyes may look upon them, but they show up determined to believe the new start that Jesus offers. Some are absolutely soul-weary from caregiving in multiple directions, and I know it. And so when I see the faces of this congregation and the stories behind them, I praise God. I count each and every one of the people who show up here as overcomers who have struggled and won a victory to be able to arrive, and I celebrate I'm sure I don't even know half the stories of the people who come here, and that alone is absolutely humbling. There's nothing in me that is worthy to serve such a group of precious people. There's nothing but the grace of Jesus Christ at work within me. And as one of our previous bishops used to remind clergy regularly, any church we serve is more church than we deserve. But don't get me wrong. This church is not perfect. You all know that fairly well. I don't have to tell us. And even if you were perfect before I got here, the instant I arrived, it became imperfect. Serving a church is not a walk in the park, and some days can be really, really trying. That's true in churches. It's true in workplaces and schools. That's true in families. But that's all the more reason to cultivate gratitude in our lives. Gratitude helps keep our eyes open to God's kindness when our struggles would like to blind us. Paul is writing here to the church of Philippi. 
And right before this encouragement, Paul's telling this gathering of believers to help Euodia and Syntyche to settle their differences. These women were instrumental in laboring with Paul to establish the church, but their disagreement needed to be resolved so that they can return their focus to the joy of the Lord. Paul was inviting the Philippian church, who had a leadership relationship in strife, to count how God had shown them favor and how God had answered their prayers. Instead of focusing on the shortcoming, Paul instructed them to focus on God's faithfulness. My father-in-law has been prayer journaling for quite some time. He's got notebooks upon notebooks of prayers that have been lifted before the Lord, and he visits his prayer journals daily. As he sees God answering those prayers, whether they're massive, immense, unimaginable prayers or small, seemingly inconsequential prayers, he'll mark the letters PTL alongside the request with a date that those prayers were answered. PTL stands for Praise the Lord, not the TV evangelism program, but it's his way of saying, look at that. Look at what God has done. You've done it again and again and again. When he has years of evidence for the faithfulness of God, when something comes up that would cause other folks to worry and fret, he turns to his prayer journal and prayerfully makes a note of the need. And with that, he turns to it over and over again and sees line after line of praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Won't he do it again? That leads to our second lesson from this morning's scripture. Wholeness comes when our thoughts and actions align with God. Wholeness comes when our thoughts and actions align with God. Paul continues, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Before I was licensed to ride a motorcycle some 22 years ago, I went through a 20-hour basic rider course to learn how to become safer and a more competent rider. We learned a number of things in that course, but one of the main points was this. Wherever your eyes are looking, your bike will follow. Wherever your eyes are looking, your bike will follow. Whatever you're focused upon becomes your eventual destination. If you want to keep going straight, your primary focus is on the center horizon. If you wanted to make a turn, you look towards and through the turn. You scan the road, you look for traffic, you look at the environment carefully and constantly, but you're focusing your sights upon where you want to end up being. And that's where I learned it, but I've also seen that come true as I rode a bicycle, as I'm driving in a car. Spend too much time looking at the radio, you'll veer right. Spend too much time looking at the driver's side rear mirror, you're going to veer left. Fret too much about the shrub on your right, and your bicycle will probably end up there. Focus strongly influences your destination. Paul knew this. He knew that our focus and what fills our minds absolutely sets a trajectory for our lives. We just heard from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that the eye is a window to the soul. And whatever it is that we're focused upon will fill us. Paul knows that our mind and our thought life is a key element to this. In a letter to the Roman church, he tells the Roman Christians, don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And to the church in Corinth, he says, we tear down every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. 
Our thought life is so crucial to our peace. Paul says, disciplining our thoughts to focus on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. I remember going to a a senior high youth event that was hosted by the conference several years ago. There was a breakout session where the facilitator was using films and TV shows to help people make connections with Scripture. With my background in media, I enjoyed that, and so I attended that particular breakout session. But the leader was showing clips from things that were pretty fresh at the time, a movie called Wedding Crashers and the cartoon Family Guy with zero context and no cautions whatsoever. I don't condemn watching stuff, but I asked the facilitator if he felt like showing those clips without additional explanation basically just baptizes those shows for high schoolers on the off chance that they might be able to find some grain of scriptural content. He seemed unconcerned. I was concerned, though, because I understand that our mind, the human brain, is a very complex computer, and like a computer, your inputs determine your outputs. Whatever goes in will somehow find expression in a person's life. You won't turn into a sarcastic mule with no sense of boundaries by watching one episode of Rick and Morty, but you might if that's all you ever watch. Those inputs are going to find outlets in your life. We have to be mindful of the inputs. If we truly want peace and satisfaction in our lives, which this scripture equates with the presence of God, if we want, to be, if we want that to be known in our lives, then we focus on good inputs. We focus on the good. It may not happen overnight, but when our inputs are mainly good and excellent, the outcomes of our lives will be godly and excellent as well. I do want to offer a, a brief aside on this, though. This is not helpful advice for people who are experiencing clinical depression or anxiety. One of the symptoms is that you have a hard time keeping hold of good thoughts and hopeful thoughts. Please don't hear this as shaming if you're experiencing that. It's my hope and prayer that God will provide all sorts of hope and help and make that accessible so you might experience light and love in what feels like darkness. No shame. Third lesson from this morning's scripture is this. Christ gives us the strength to be content. Christ gives us strength to be content. Paul says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you've done well to share with me in my present difficulty. I don't know if conversations like this happen in your household, but they happen in mine. When Amy and I are out shopping, we're at a department store, we're out at the grocery store, we're at garage sales, whatever it is. Amy and I will go in different areas. She's not interested in old stereo equipment or anything like that. She'll go off into a a different section of the store, and then we'll reconnect, and we'll have a conversation that goes something like this. It starts with, did you find anything you need? And the other person will inevitably respond, well, need's a strong word. I found some things that I kind of like, some things I wouldn't mind having, but do I need it? Not really. Need is a strong word. In 1943, psychologist Abraham Maslow proposed what we, uh, have, that we have levels of need connected with our human motivation, and at the base level of his visual description of those needs, which is a, a pyramid, are physiological or survival needs, things like security of health and food, water, sleep, clothes, shelter, and in some models, sex. 
And until you have those needs met, other motivators have very little impact on a person. Those are survival needs. It's an interesting question to think about what we need. When I look around at the parsonage in which my family lives, I am reminded that we have received more than we need, certainly more than what we deserve. The Apostle Paul was probably imprisoned when he was writing this letter. It's not certain which imprisonment Paul was experiencing as he wrote this. He was taken into custody a number of times for stirring up strife or preaching about Jesus. But here he was sitting in a jail, and the first things he writes to the Christians in Greek Philippi is, I thank God for you. I pray for you. I'm excited for what God is doing through you. Maybe he had just gotten accustomed to prison life. But I think that his focus was on others because he had truly tasted freedom. Though he was bound in prison, his heart and his spirit and his mind were free. He had disciplined his body and had depended upon grace to be free of the demands of the hungers of the flesh that had been imposed upon him. He learned how to appreciate when he had plenty and to love when he had little. Because neither condition changed the presence of Jesus in his life one little bit. Both circumstances just gave him different ways to show the faithfulness of a savior. A couple of hundred years ago, John Wesley, who was the founder of this Methodist movement, received a peak annual income with royalties of about $160,000 in today's spending power. It was about 1,400 pounds in the time annually. In his day, that was a whole lot of money. Years before arriving at that income level, he determined that he could live just fine on about 30 pounds a year, something like $20,000 of today's spending power. Yet when John Wesley died in 1791, the only financial assets left to address in his will were the coins in his pockets and in his dresser. It wasn't from bad investment or financial mismanagement. He decided that anything above what he needed to live suitably was given him for the purpose of sharing. When his income grew, he made a decision that it was not so he could increase his standard of living, but so he could increase his standard of giving. John Wesley decided that there was a point where he was content, satisfied, that God had given him not only enough, but more than enough. And as he recognized that, God used his life to make an even greater impact. I confess I am not there yet. I'm not. But the spirit that lives in me desires it. I want to order my life around being so satisfied in Christ and allowing Jesus to make the greatest impact possible through my life and all that's been entrusted to me. That happens when I remember to be grateful. When we remember to thank the Lord for all our God has done. And when we set our minds and hearts on worthwhile things and let God renew us right down to our very thoughts. It happens when we see all that God has provided and choose to be more than satisfied. To be moved from worry to awe and to let our hearts overflow with thanks so we can make a difference for others. We move to a time when we get to gather around the Lord's table. And in some traditions, this gathering is referred to as the Eucharist. Eucharist is a Greek term. It comes from when Jesus was instituting this Lord's Supper. And it, in essence, means to give thanks to the Lord. And that's what we do when we gather here together. This is a way to give thanks. As we receive of this gift, 
It's our way of telling the Lord, thank you for all that you have done, for this gift of mercy that has been poured out for us, for the kindness and provision you have shown us.